Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recorded live. Sasquatch mystery coast to coast and continent to continent. It's the Bigfoot Field Guide radio show presented by the Mid-America Bigfoot Research Center. Over the next hour, we'll discuss sightings, behavioral characteristics, useful equipment, and all that is Bigfoot. Pull up a chair and join the conversation. The Bigfoot Field Guide radio show is on the air. Good evening, everybody out there in Cyberland. Lim here with you, the Mid-America Bigfoot Research Center's Bigfoot Field Guide radio show is back after an extra week-long hiatus. How's everybody doing out there? Who's on the line with me? This is DW, and I think we've got uh, Sensor Tech Carl and Driver Operator Randy. How's it going, guys? Good, good. I hope everybody's doing well. Everyone know everybody's, uh, most of our people are doing are pretty wet right now with all the rain we've all been having um, in some places more than others, of course. And I think tonight we're going to talk about the 2009 Honubi Bigfoot Conference and the expedition that happened in the Kaimichis while the conference was going on. So I'll go ahead and turn it over to DW and Randy since they were there from the beginning. Go ahead, guys. Well, we uh, we actually had decided that we were going to get in a few extra days of research, and uh, we wanted to get boots on the ground and check out some new areas. And, of course, uh, it was Randy, myself, uh, Bushman, Squatch Finder, and for this outing, we actually got no mercy to go with us. And, I mean, it, it was a pretty enjoyable time, wasn't it, Randy? Well, I can't complain. It was probably one of the best times that I've had in a long time. <laughs> uh so basically, uh, I'm actually going to let you tell the story, Randy, of uh, what happened Monday night, and uh, okay. then we'll just kind of go from there because you, you did a pretty good job of it at the conference. All right. Well, you know, uh, we we affectionately call this the walkie-talkie incident. Uh, it's a, it's a good name that that covers the whole realm of this walkie-talkie uh, happening, and it all started on the first night. We got there on Monday. And uh, we got there after dark. Uh, there was five of us. We had uh, the Polaris Ranger with me, JR, and DW. And then we had two ATVs, one with uh, Roy on it and one with Dave on it. Uh, that's Squatch Finder and Bushman. And uh, we had an area kind of mapped out in my mind that, that we were to spend the night, but we've never been able to get back there because we were never able to uh, transport all of our camping gear. So... Since this was the first time that we had the Polaris there, it really allowed us to pack on quite a bit of gear and uh, tents and, and everything, ice chests. So it was after dark. I, I don't even know exactly what time it was, but uh, we started up into the mountain, 
just behind the dumpsters there at Honubby. And, and anybody that's familiar with that area will know the road that I'm talking about that goes by the gravel pit uh, and heads up the hill that way. So I guess we went you know, up around that ridge, very rutted. It seems to be getting more and more rutted over the years, and some of the areas are pretty steep, and it was a pretty slow travel. Uh, we worked our way back. Uh, I would, I'm guesstimating about four miles, uh, give or take, uh, and it was a, a slow travel back to that camping spot. Uh, when we got there, uh, immediately, as we were, you know, settling around this area that we were going to set up our tents, Roy goes, oh, crap, I lost my walkie-talkie. He had just purchased, and he said it was brand new. He had just purchased a, a pair of, uh, I don't know if they were Unidens or, or whatever, but they were 36-mile range, you know, high-dollar walkie-talkies. I think they run about 90 bucks a pair, at least that's what I've seen. So uh, he was pretty disappointed, and, uh, you know, we were like, well, what can we do? I mean, just... You know, maybe we can look for them, you know, the next day or something. Uh, and then DW or somebody noticed that there was some photographs on uh, Dave's foot peg on his ATV and uh, said, hey, Dave, you're, you know, you're losing something there. What is that? And reached down and picked him up, and Dave was like, oh, I didn't even know I had those in my pocket. So apparently he had some family photographs that he had taken of his grandchildren in school in a dark auditorium up on stage that, that he was losing some of those pictures out of his pocket. Didn't even know if he'd lost any. We just knew that there was two sitting on his foot peg. So he gathered them up, stuck them back in his pocket, and uh, we set up our campsite. I ran back in uh, to get firewood because it was chilly that night, and I probably did it in, it probably took us, I don't know, I would say 45 minutes to an hour to get to the campsite, but I probably ran to get the wood in about 20 minutes because I was flying and <laughs> I was jumping ruts and, and creek beds and everything to get down there, get the firewood and get back up there. And not because I was scared. So don't, don't, don't y'all think I'm scared. Yeah. No, yeah. Okay, that was part of the reason. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, uh, you know, it, it, it's a different feel when you're out there by yourself, I can tell you. Uh, so anyway, so I flew back with this firewood and we set up our campsite and you know, had a nice campfire going. And, you know, any time you spend up there in those mountains, you'll hear a thing or two. You, you might hear movement, you know, up on the side of the mountains around you. you. You may hear what you thought was a rock being tossed. I mean, we can't say specifically that anything out of the ordinary happened that first night. We, we thought we heard a few distant things, maybe a tree knock, maybe a vocalization, but, but nothing really jumped out at us as being absolute Bigfoot activity. So it was generally just a great first night to just get acclimated to the area. And uh, so the next morning, we packed our stuff up, and uh, we headed back out on the trail. And it, I, I think we'd probably go about two miles before the trail branches at the first junction to where you can either take the trail that we came in from around the gravel pits, or you can go in another direction up to our old ridge campsite so i believe darren and i and and jr went to the old campsite direction and roy and dave took the original trail that we brought in that first night that we came in on just to look for his walkie-talkie at that point i don't even think that they were even looking for a picture because did not know that it wasn't sure that there was even one missing so they were basically just looking for the walkie-talkie 
and we met him back down at Christ 40 Acres, uh, which was the uh, site of the conference. And uh, so we met back down there, you know, an hour or so later, and they said they didn't have any luck finding the walkie-talkie. Needless to say, we never even brought up the walkie-talkie again. I, I, at least I was not involved in any conversations where we even talked about the, the walkie-talkie again because it's just one of those things that, you know, it was lost. What can you do? Uh, so we just went on with, you know, all the other things that we had planned to do. So the second night, we'd set up a campsite that was, it was about four miles in also, but it was in a different location. So we would take the same trail in, but it would branch off at, at another joint. So part of the trail would be the original trail we came in on the first night, and then we would move up along top of the ridge for another couple of miles, and that's where we had our second campsite. Now that campsite was a little bit more enjoyable because we had uh, Mike Hall from Texla and his wife, uh, Dulce, join us from their cabin, and I transported them up there. And uh, we had a good time. Uh, we thought that we had considerably more movement around our campsite in that spot. Uh, but once again, you know, I, I think somebody may have saw something, you know, dart across an, an opening between the trees. You know, I, I, I don't remember who might have seen that, but I didn't see anything. I just know that I heard a few things. But once again, you just can't absolutely put a stamp of it being Bigfoot, you know, without, you know, knowing for sure. But things get a little bit better. The third night, we started setting our campsite up on the original campsite where the Ridgewalker video was taken. And everybody, you know, that's been down there knows where that campsite is. So that's where we spent the third night. And just to believe, throw this in there, Randy, just to throw this in there, it's not a super secret <laughs> research no, no, no. It, I, I have taken everybody and their cousin to that spot to show them where the video was taken and, and to spend time in that campground. It is not a secret. Everybody knows where that is. So that's where we were at on the third night, and that would be Wednesday night, I believe. Yeah, Wednesday night. Wednesday, Wednesday night. So we stayed there on Wednesday night, and uh, – I believe it was Thursday is when people started coming in. Other people started coming in. And so Thursday's the big day. This is this is where the the incident took place in that evening. But the day started out kind of dreary, kind of wet, uh, you know, called for rain. Uh some of the film crews were coming in. The, the uh, Oklahoma University boys were there with their film cameras and I had already set up a bait station that day. Uh up around that ridge, and uh, my bait station, I'd really been excited about it because it, it, we were thinking it was something different, and it was some solar-powered light uh, with the game cameras, and uh, we were trying to get away from using baits because the baits are so inconsistent. I mean, it's hard to, to find a bait that they'll take every time, and it's just a hit and miss. So we thought, well, we'll just try something different, and, and I was able to order six uh, solar-powered flowers out of a catalog that collect sun power all day, and then they run 8 to 10, 12 hours at night just glowing a nice soft, soft glowing colors, nothing harsh, you know, not, not a bright light, but just a glowing flower, and I thought that would be great to set up as some kind of, uh, you know, an inquisitive uh, bait station for, for them, and also a chime, a wind chime that had a globe in the middle that changes colors. So it was an audio 
bait station as well as a visual bait station. And you know, I think we set it up really nice, and we've got some pictures on the MABRC forum, uh, you know, for people to look at uh, showing the bait station. As a matter of fact, we've already got a good shot of a bobcat. Uh, but anyways, so I was real excited about the the bait station, and uh, I. I Took people up there several times and was just showing it to them, and you know, asking them their opinion, what they thought of you know of its of its success and things like that. And uh, I was up there at five o'clock in the afternoon, and Darren told me that we had to to leave at five thirty to uh, to get to Tallahena to pick up Tom Powell and uh, Jeff Meldrum. So I had the o OU boys up there with their cameras, and they wanted to get some filler shots of the scenery and stuff, and so we were up there, and it started raining on us, and, and the guy has a very expensive camera, so he was very concerned about the camera getting water on it, so I started flying down these trails, the same trails where this incident will be happening later to get down to the Christ 40 Acres, uh, and like I said, this was about 5, 5.30, because we, uh, Darren and I, somebody was down at the camp and told us, or down at the Christ 40 Acres told us that there was some hail and high winds coming this way. And before Darren and I could take off, we had to grab some tarps and run up to the ridge campsite and give tarps to everybody and tell them, say, hail is coming, high winds are coming, so get everything tarped down. we got to go because we got to be in Tallahena in 15, 20 minutes you know, to pick the guys up. So we actually came up to the campsite off of the paved road, which is a different route than, than uh, where we originally took. So we flew back to the... Christ 40 acres, and we went into Tallahena, picked up the guys, met up with Redtail Hawk, and, and she, she transported the guys from the airport. You know, God bless her for that, so that Darren and I didn't have to do that. Uh, and then we got something to eat there in Tallahena, and talking to the guys, and you know, getting reacquainted with them after you know after not seeing Jeff for a year, and it was good to see him. And when we got back to camp, come to find out, or when we got back to Christ 40 acres, come to, well, no, before we left Tallahena. Uh, Dr. Meldon wasn't feeling well. He was just getting over a sickness, so he actually stayed in Tallahena at his uh, hotel. So Tom Powell was very excited about you know staying out and camping. As a matter of fact, he is about as hardcore. He's about as hardcore as Lim uh, <laughs> when, when it comes to camping. I mean, he was he's, he's he sleeps on the ground. I mean, he's not into sleeping even in a tent. I mean, that you ask me, that's pretty hardcore. I I I wouldn't get a lick of sleep you know unless I had something around me. Uh, but anyways, so we got back, and we were all excited about getting up on the camp campground, getting everything set up, and uh, it was about 11 o'clock at night, and I, you know, I was wanting to take everybody up and show them the, the bait station with, you know, at night with the lights actually glowing, and uh, took Tom Powell, and Lim, you were there too, right? No, I didn't go. I think it was Tom Powell, Mike Hall. And I can't remember who else is with you. I know those oh, two that, were that, sure that, that, the, that university the professor guy. Yeah, that's yeah, who that. it was. The okay, so it was, was my call. Yeah. yeah, it was my call sitting next to me, this university guy from Oklahoma, and uh, Tom Powell. And uh, so we started heading up, heading up the mountain on, on the backside to, to get up to that bait station. And we had to traverse some of the trails that we originally came in on on that first night. And so here's where it gets interesting. As we were coming through a couple of uh, wet creek, you know, crossings and going up the mountain, we came upon, and I saw it before I got there because I had been on this trail probably 20, 
I'd say 20 times. I had taken so many people up there. I, I, I was knowing where every rut was, which, which path to take to avoid the deep ruts. I mean, I, I was very familiar with that particular stretch of trail to, to just be able to dodge, you know, what, where I needed to go to drive that thing. So right off the bat, I saw something that caught my eye that wasn't there five hours earlier. And, and I told the guys, I said, that, that is different. I said, there's, there's a couple of rocks stacked right in the middle of the trail. And as we got closer, you could see that it had a white bag, uh, just a, a discarded trash, little white trashy bag from one of the stores that was on top of a rock, and another rock was on top of it holding it down. And, uh, I mean, it looked so obviously that it was done by a person that we really didn't take it as serious as we should have. And I jumped off, and I was like, somebody, I, maybe it was Tom Powell. Somebody said, well, maybe the Bigfoots want us to clean up the trash around here. And, you know, we all kind of laughed. And I went out there and tossed the rock off and grabbed the white plastic bag. And I opened it up and looked in it, and there was just a receipt at the bottom of it. And uh, so I pretended like the Bigfoots were watching me. And I said, okay, we're picking up the trash. And I walked around, and I stuffed it in the back bed of the Polaris. And I went back up, and I tossed this, the bigger rock off to the side. And we just kind of played it off as a, you know, ha-ha you know, if somebody's playing a trick on us or whatever. So then we went on up to look at the bait station. Everybody looked at the bait station, thought it was great, and then we come out. And uh, at that moment, I don't know if it was me or Tom, I, I think I said, do you guys want to head back the way we came to go back to camp, or do you guys want to go on down the other side of the mountain here and come out on the highway? And somebody said, well, let's just, you know, let's just take the area that we haven't seen yet. So we continued on around that, that side of the mountain area. And as we were working our way down, I would say this next incident was about a quarter of a mile from the first one, maybe an eighth of a mile. But uh, as we were going down in behind the gravel pits, there was a much bigger rock structure in the middle of the trail. I mean, and, and it caught our, all of our eye. And we, everyone was like, what? what what's, what's going on here? Somebody is doing this. And this was so blatantly obvious that a person did this because – I, don't, I mean, it, it just looked person like a person did it to me because it was a multi-level. It was probably three or four levels of rocks with a base of three big rocks, a middle, you know, a middle area with rocks, and a third one. And on the very top, it had an old water bottle with two little rocks keeping the water bottle in place on the top. So it was a pyramid-shaped structure. And Tom Powell was hanging over the top of the cab looking in the headlights at it he was like, man, if somebody's trying to do that to make us think it's a Bigfoot or if they're trying to communicate with a Bigfoot, he even said, that is lame. I mean, it, we, it just looked so obvious that it was, you know, fabricated by a person. So once again, we didn't take it as seriously as we should have. So I'm sitting there with my arms over the steering wheel, and Mike Hall hops out to go down there to start disassembling because it's right in the middle of the road. And uh, he just starts disassembling it, taking it apart from the top down. And when he gets to the bottom, there was a cavity. Uh, actually, there was an old, an old piece of board that was in the middle covering up this cavity on the bottom layer of rocks. And when he removed that wood, it revealed the cavity. And he goes, he goes, hey, guys, look at this. And he reaches in there, and he pulls out a walkie-talkie. And at that moment, I'm, I'm looking at him pulling out that walkie-talkie by the antenna, and I said, 
oh, my goodness. I said, you have got to be kidding me. And at that point, none of these guys were aware that three days earlier we had lost a walkie-talkie. I was the only one that was aware of that. And I said, no way. You have got to be crap me. And Mike Hall's just sitting there holding it, looking at me, and he's like, what are you talking about? What? What? And I said, man, I said, Roy lost his walkie-talkie three days ago. I said, we have got to go back to camp and see if that is Roy's walkie-talkie. So I, I don't even know if we, we reassembled that rock structure at that point, but we just got went back to camp. And uh, I, I believe the On the Fringe film crew was there, and uh, we just went up to Dave or went up to Roy and said, Roy, please. I mean, I mean, the hair on the back of my neck was raising up. And I, we were like, please, man, just is this your walkie-talkie? And he looked at it, and he said, yes. And he tried it, and it was still working. Uh, and I had to go sit down. I mean, I was absolutely floored. Uh, the next day, it was the first day of the conference, which was Friday, we were telling everybody about it. We were calling it the walkie-talkie incident. Couldn't believe it. It was unbelievable. And as I was talking with somebody about it, and, and they were like, yeah, a rock carn is like an Indian thing where they'll leave something in the middle of the rocks. And they were like, yeah. And, and for, for a moment, I got to thinking about the first rock structure that we came across that had the white bag. And I was thinking, did we, did we miss something there? I said, was there something more there than what we thought was there? So I went out to my Polaris in the sunlight the next morning, and I'm, and I'm digging under the back seat, and I find that little Alco bag that, that I had thrown in there. And I opened it up again, and what looked like a receipt in the bottom of the bag, I flipped it over, and it was a photograph. And that is the second time that – and I'm standing there by myself looking at this photograph, and the hair on the back of my neck is standing on end, and I'm just – I'm flushed. And, and I immediately go back into the building, and I, I had to find Dave. And I kind of kept the picture up against me, and I was like, Dave, I said, you are not going to believe this. I said, please. I said, look at this and tell me if this is yours. And I turned it, and he said, yes. He said, that was one of the pictures that fell out of his pocket. And at that point, I, I am still I – I think about that constantly since we've left there. I, I'm, I'm just at a loss. Uh, I mean, I've talked to so many people. And I truly feel, I mean, if, if a person did not do that, I mean, if, if, if one of these animals did that, and I, I don't see how a person could have, I mean, the odds are so astronomical. I mean, there's bits of trash along those trails that hunters leave, like old beer cans, empty water bottles, bits of trash, especially as you get closer down the hill. Uh, I just don't see how anything, especially since... Dave and Roy looked for the walkie-talkie the next day and couldn't find it. So put all of those things together and the fact that whatever had that walkie-talkie held on to it for three days and then decided that night to put it on, under a rock car and right there in, in the middle of that logging road on the trail that I had been traveling probably 15, 20, 25 times. And all I can think about, since I was the only one in that Polaris, I'm the only one that was in that Polaris consistently. I mean, think about that. I had so many different people up there, but I'm the only one who was the same who was a part of that first group that went in that night. And all I can think about is all those times, the years that I have spent in those areas by myself putting out baits with, with drawings of a Bigfoot and a man standing beside the Bigfoot with a blue, you know, a blue fire department shirt on with yellow letters that said fire on it. Way back then, five years ago, putting those pictures out thinking, you know, is this silly or what? I mean, because nothing ever happened that made me think that that was 
being productive in any, in any way, but I, I wanted them to, to take some of my baits and see that picture and kind of kind of know that you know that I that I knew that they were there and that I wasn't you know I, I don't know what I'm what I'm trying to say, but for some reason I really feel like like that night I had a weight taken off my shoulders because there's a lot of times I have a lot of fear down there, you know, especially when I'm by myself, uh, unless I'm snuggled up close to a campfire, but it it, kind of disappeared that night because I was thinking, if this animal or these animals did that, they watched us come in, they had to have followed us all the way to camp because we don't even know where the walkie-talkie was lost or the picture. They could have been lost a half a mile apart or two miles apart. Who knows where they were lost? I mean, I, I don't think it's, I think it's, easy to say that they probably were not lost in the same spot. I mean, I just, you know, it's, it's too random. Yeah. And if, if a person did that, I was thinking they certainly wouldn't have been able to follow us that night without, you know, giving themselves up. You know, they, they couldn't follow four-wheelers and, and a Polaris, but these animals can. And I'm thinking they had to follow us all the way to camp to know that we lost something. And the fact that they held on to that stuff and the fact that the picture was in a plastic bag. I mean, I'm floored. In a plastic bag, that is something a person would do. I would think if a person was going to going to set that up to make it look like a Bigfoot did it, why wouldn't they just put the picture under a rock? I mean, to put it in a bag, that that's two people like to make it obvious. It, it just blows my mind. And, and I do want to put this in there. Uh, we was able to account for everybody from the time me and Randy got in the Polaris to go up the hill with the tarps until yeah. the time he went uh, on that ride with Tom Powell. Uh, well, and fortunately, fortunately the, the, the two OU guys, Mike Hall went and interviewed them later because when we were up there at about 5, 530, uh, you know, they verified that there was nothing in the road, nothing that we had to stop for, uh, you know, and that was the last time that we were up on that particular range uh, at 530 before the 11 o'clock trip where we discovered these things. Yeah, and of course, uh, Lowrider just asked a question. Did you guys leave food out for them? Yeah, I gave yes. I gave you a, a rice krispie treat, and you guys went back up there and recreated the structure and put that rice krispie treat inside that structure. Right, right. And of course, if I remember right, when we left, the rice krispie treat was still in there. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they're they're, 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 no, they're notorious for for taking long, long time to touch a food bait. So that that's not un, uncommon. Yeah, I, I do have a comment about all this because there are there is going to be speculation that it could have been a person that had done this trying to hoax our group because it was known that we were going to be in that area. Yeah. Now, what I have to say to that is there was nothing in the photograph, there was nothing on the walkie-talkie on the two-way itself that said that it belonged to MABRC person. Because the photograph didn't have any pictures of any of us, it was pictures of Dave's grandchildren. That could have been anybody. And so it was a, for them it to was find a, it, it. It was a distant picture. It was a picture right. of him and way I, back in an auditorium of some yeah. little kids way up on the stage um, from several years ago. That Dave, if I recall right, had said that he hadn't worn that jacket since that trip, or since those pictures had been developed, and that had been several years since he'd worn that jacket. So he didn't even know right. they were in there. Um, so to me, that tells me that it wasn't somebody that was intentionally trying to hoax us. Uh, and the fact that these things were 
lost several days prior and then showed back up in an area that they that possibly was under observation by them uh that they knew that you had been going back and forth to uh and had you know watched probably knew where our camps were of course and everything else and they just sat there and probably watched the trails and waited to a point where they knew you were going to be coming back and forth and you know blammo but well, and another and, and another point Liam, and, and everybody that i've talked to here all my firefighter friends that are interested in what's going on with our research when i tell them what happened almost every one of them say all of those walkie-talkies easily interact with other walkie-talkies. So yeah. a walkie-talkie found is a valuable walkie-talkie to oh, whoever exactly. finds it. Yeah, yeah. They're they're not they're not like it only matches with the one that the other one that came with it. Yeah, they're universal. So exactly, it's a it's a it's a find, and somebody's going to keep it. Especially the people that would be out there that weekend uh, or that week, possibly hunters setting up, you know, getting their uh, their sets their uh, sites set up, do some hunting. And if a hunter finds one, guaranteed they're going to keep it because that's an invaluable tool out there in the middle of nowhere, you know. And of course, his was uh, a Motorola too, so that. Yeah, exactly. It's not a cheap one either, you know. Yeah. So. Well, and, and since when does a person, if, if it wasn't somebody trying to hoax us, since when do you return something by sticking it in a rock carns? I mean, right. Uh, right. And if you weren't going to keep it yourself, how else would you return something? It, does it ever get returned that way? Yeah, a lot, a lot of questions there, but, you know. No one, one knows. Yeah, no one knows. Just like uh, Jeff. <laughs> Pump mantra. Yeah. <laughs> Pump house mantra. No one knows. Yeah. Well, we, I, I got I to gotta tell you guys, I mean, you, you guys don't know how many. Even before I met Darren, I mean, that was my that was my place. I had been nowhere else. That was the only place I'd ever researched. I mean, I consider that my home. I mean, even though I don't live there, I just consider that my research home because I spent so much time there. And it, when that happened, I, I mean, it was like a revelation because you you read about potential habituation situations uh, where people can interact with these things. And I really feel like after seven years, that may have been the first actual interaction with, with a group of these animals. And I, I'm, I'm, I cannot wait to go back down there and check those cameras and spend another few nights. Yeah, we, we've been joking about how you've been wanting to leave those cameras down there for a year, but I don't think they're going to last that long. You're going to be <laughs> <laughs> January or February. You're going to be like, come on, guys, we got to go down there. Yeah, but, I know. I know. But, yeah, I mean, th- this right here was just a, a great thing to happen. You know, we spent four days uh, really all over the area. Uh, Wednesday night we... We went on probably a 20-mile jaunt through the woods. And, of course, uh, you know, no mercy is never going to live this down, but the infamous I can't find a tree uh, <laughs> was about the funniest thing that happened the entire trip. Uh, kind of cover that real quick, and then we'll take a break. Uh, we got out, and I'd say we was, what, probably eight or nine miles back into the wilderness, Randy? Yeah. Yeah, easy. And uh, somebody said, uh, we need to do a wood knock. So J.R. was like, well, I'll find a stick. So he finds a stick, and he's walking around, and he's got this lost look on his face. And here we are standing in the middle of the the woods. And And we're all (laughs) chit-chatting. We're all standing there chit-chatting around the Polaris in the dark while he's going to go do a tree knock for us. And 15 minutes later, we're still chit-chatting, and here he comes moping up there with his head hanging down. And all we could say is, what, can you not find a tree or what? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, can't find a tree. And, of course, you know, what he meant was, you know, he couldn't find a, 
uh, a good Suitable tree to do tree. a wood knock. But uh, <laughs> it was it was pretty hilarious because you know we're we're out in the middle of the woods and he comes up and says can't find a tree. So, but uh, with that being said, uh, we'll take a, about a four and a half minute break here and play some music, and uh, then we'll come back and we'll talk about the conference and try to get this thing wrapped up uh, before nine o'clock. So, here we go, folks.
And of course we're back now. Uh, I hope everybody kind of liked the song selection this week. Uh, just kind of thought it was appropriate since the MABRC was back in Hanobi. <laughs> so uh, I'd really like to start off uh, with a few thank yous for uh, everybody that showed up for the conference and actually put in a lot of hard work. Uh, I mean, we started setting up on Wednesday. Still had a lot to do on uh, Thursday. Had to go out and find more chairs, uh, setting up presentations. I mean, this year we totally revamped the conference from the ground up. We put all kinds of presentation boards and uh, signing maps. Uh, Big Jim created a really huge uh, Bigfoot bust, and to see it in person, <laughs> it really kind of give you the the willies. Uh, I mean, uh, everybody did such a great job. Uh, I mean, I, I was really proud of the MABRC members for pitching in and helping putting this thing on, and it really turned out great. So for all you out there that, that helped put it on, you know, I appreciate it. Y'all did a hell of a job, and uh, I think everybody should give y'all a big hand. Of course, can't hear it on the radio, but, <clears throat> you know, you guys did a lot. And, you know, with, with little to no money made on, on a conference ever, at least the ones we've been involved with, I mean, goes to show you that it's a labor of love. I mean, to, to put that kind of effort, time, money, you know, away from family, uh, you know, it, it just really people are doing it because they love it. I, I mean, I know that's why I do it, uh, and, and and I'm sure you know everyone else reflects that too. Uh, you know, so I appreciate you know what everybody did. Yeah, I mean, can, we, uh, can we get some actual facts, like how many people were actually at the conference, so we can get that word out there? Yeah, we had uh, even Dr. Meldrum and uh, Tom Powell agree with this number, we had approximately 1,600 people come through the door. Yeah, that's about what I figured, too, from looking at all the receipts and everything else. Yeah, I mean, there was times that you couldn't even walk through the presentation area because there were so many people uh, standing there. And, uh, I mean, they, they ate up the, the presentations we had. Uh, Carl was out there with a few others, you know, mingling in and uh, and I got got to tell everybody that uh, Scott Nelson's presentation on Bigfoot language got a standing ovation. Yeah, and yeah. If, if you have not heard his presentation, you have to hear it. Even if this is the first you've ever heard that he even gives a presentation on language, find find the CD, find the video that we're going to post, and listen to his his presentation. It will open your eyes and and know that these animals are out there and, and they are very close to having uh, a lot of scientists get on board. And, of course, he actually come up there on the ridge with us and uh, was doing some vocalizations. And, uh, it, <laughs> yeah, and they're scary. Yeah, they're, they're scary, but it was really funny, too, because uh, they were doing some vocalizations up at uh, Lynn's camp, wasn't it? Yeah, we yeah. actually, uh, myself and uh, Nugget and GS Mom and Tom Powell had all gone out and gone on a hike. And we hiked maybe, I don't know, a mile and a half in or something like that down this logging road. And uh, we thought we heard a distant vocalization. And we all, you know, we're all excited. And, hey, hey, you know, what do you want to do? Should we go ahead and answer it or should we just wait and hear another one? So we heard another one. 
And uh, at that point, Tom's looking at me going, well, give me the word and I'm going to answer it. And I said, go ahead, man, do what you got to do. You know, you're the, you're the big Bigfoot researcher from Portland. Do what you got to do. And he got out there and he let out a really, really, uh, really good whoop. And uh, it wasn't too long after that that we got a reply from what we thought was a uh, Bigfoot, but it turned out that we had been making responses, calling responses with uh, with with uh, Randy and with Scott Nelson. So the 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 joke was that no, we didn't really get hoaxed. We were actually just interacting with Scott Nelson. It wasn't somebody from the BFRO that we were out there doing this with. It was Scott Nelson himself. Yeah, you can't you can't uh, grab too much about that because you was going toe to toe with a man that. <laughs> yeah, they got the standing ovation. Yeah. yeah. And that was, I, I have to say that uh, uh, Scott Nelson's and um, Tom Powell's speeches or presentations were, I think, probably the standouts in my mind of the conference. Uh, yeah. Scott Nelson's was just mind, mind-blowing mind and mind-boggling. And the fact that, uh, you know, he talked about uh, that he thinks he's been able to decipher different names for different individual uh, Bigfoot and Sasquatch or whatever you want to call them, forest yeah. people. You know, and uh, the words, you know, he's figured out uh, the, uh, he's been able to trans- write up a transcript with uh, translations for what the word is for food and uh, all kinds of different stuff. It was really mind-blowing. It was great. Yeah. I mean, just like just like last year when I saw Meldrum's presentation for the first time, I walked away from that with my jaw on the floor because I can't imagine any skeptic or any non-believer to not sit and listen to that and then not be an immediate believer. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like he was just just to make this clear to everybody that's going to listen to this later. It wasn't like he was just saying, "Hey, I've got this, and I've come up with this neat thing, and it tells me that this is what they're saying." He actually was playing the audio for the entire crowd so that we could all hear what he was talking about, and you could hear where uh, slowed down. It was in fact there were there were individual words there, and that's right. what he was he was deciphering. It was it was fantastic, and Tom Powell's presentation was. Uh, lighthearted, but very informative, and was a good change of pace from the other presentations we had had that day. That day had been Saturday was pretty thick on on information, you know, from uh, David Politis and Harvey Pratt, and which all had great presentations. I can't say that that uh, that they were bad in any way, and Dr. Meldrum, of course, uh, but. But Tom's was real lighthearted, but it gave out a lot of really good information. And the one thing to remember is that Tom doesn't know, so you know, don't think that Tom has all the answers. And of course, of course, his uh, observations on uh, photographs that get sent to him. Oh that, yes, of course, of course. You know, uh, Tom's number one rule about photos: if you can't actually see it in the photo, the photo's no damn good. And that's and, what exactly what it said on the PowerPoint. Yeah, and then the second rule is if you have to outline it, it's even worse as evidence. So, you know, that's one thing that we we try to point out to everybody is you know, hey, if you have to point it out in the picture, it's not really a good picture. Right. So I, I'm a firm believer. I mean, I, I think the audience laughed probably two thirds through his presentation, but. It was uh, it was definitely worth sitting through all those other presentations just to get to it. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like I said, it was just a nice change of pace, you know, because we had been getting hammered all day with just information and, and fact and 
speculation and these things that, you know, everybody was saying was this is their definitive proof or, you know, in their minds. And for him to get up there and just kind of let loose and kind of let a big sigh out of the entire room, you know, the, the entire room was able to laugh for a little bit and take itself a little bit less serious, I guess. Yeah, I think he pretty much set the tone for for the entire thing and set everybody at ease when he got up here and he said, you know how David said, beware of the fringe element? And he holds his hands up and he goes, I'm the fringe element. Yeah. <laughs> and you could just feel the whole room just at ease after that. So. Yeah. Uh, but one thing uh, we are doing, we, we do have 27 hours of video from the conference and from the expedition. And uh, believe me, folks, I'm trying as fast as I can to get that processed and uh, throw some titles on it and get it all in some kind of semblance of a video. And uh, we're going to try to get those uploaded to uh, YouTube just as soon as possible. Uh, and, of course, uh, we also had uh, Scott Charleston and Chris Foreman from uh, OU come up and do a presentation on how to use uh, technology to share and gather research. And I didn't get to sit all the way through it. I actually had to wait to watch the video when I was processing it. Uh, I was actually kind of proud that they mentioned that the MABRC had the best site out there as far as collecting and distributing information. Uh, I mean, that really kind of made me feel pretty good right there. So, uh, what's Carl asking here? Tell, what are you asking, Carl? Tell him about the peanut butter licking uh, audio. Oh, okay. Uh, well, about a year ago, before uh, last year's conference, uh, Texla Research actually recorded a really good recording three minutes after they hung out one of their uh, uh, audio collection boxes. And uh, three minutes later, you hear something bipedal walking up to where they had spread peanut butter on the side of a tree. And uh, you actually hear it real clear walking up there. And you hear what sounds like, you know, something is licking or munching down sniffing, on that peanut butter. Sniffing yeah. and licking. Right. And then all of a sudden it starts choking and coughing, you know, because... <laughs> yeah, it sounds asthmatic all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> getting allergy peanut butter. Yeah. Yeah, of course, uh, last year Mike told us, you know, he, he'd feel real bad if uh, Bigfoot had an allergy to peanut butter and killed over dead on him out there. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he, he played that for the second year in a row, and, uh, I mean, everybody was just riveted when they heard it. Yeah. Cause you hear well, Aud- this Autumn, Autumn Williams said, poor thing, next time he should leave it a glass of milk. Yeah. All right. Uh, I did want to mention, uh, we can't forget our good friend Bob Swain. Who was there with Lapin Oh Watch. yeah, now we definitely need to talk about him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let me let me do add this one thing though about the uh, the recording. Okay, go ahead. Uh, the the one thing that everybody should realize is this was three minutes after they hung that device up and walked away. So this thing was right there behind them, following them as they were hanging this stuff up. It was watching them. So you you really need to keep that in mind, folks, that they're always watching you when you're in their area. Always. Always. 
Now, as far as Robert Swain, uh, I mean, he really endeared himself to the MABRC. He actually come up, what was it, uh, Thursday night, I think it was. Huh? Yeah, he yeah. showed the same night as everybody else. Thursday. Yeah, he, he come up there and he camped on the, the ridge with us the entire weekend. And he was always willing to jump in and give us a hand. Uh, and if you ever have the chance to look at his last Squatch cartoons, they are hilarious. And uh, well, if you get a, if you get a chance to talk to him, you'll find that he has been researching for quite a while. His job has him traveling all up in, in you know some of the northwestern states, and uh, he he always takes the the winding dirt road paths, you know, travel routes in the hopes of seeing something. He he spends a lot of time out in the woods with his son. Uh, so in his own right, he is a damn fine independent researcher. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I really thought it was great that all he could do was brag about how good the MABRC was and, you know, how he was glad to be uh, up there on the ridge with us. Well, but, I think he came up there and he was glad that we weren't treating him like an outsider. You know, I think more than anything else, it wasn't, we weren't treating him like somebody else that was up there trying to just hang out and see what was going on and be skeptical, uh, a scoffic, so to speak. Yeah. Well, you're right, uh, Lim. You're right, Lim. That's, he, he, was, he was really glad that we were getting him involved yeah. in doing stuff. Like, hey, let's go do this, and you're coming with me. Come on. You know, and he's like, oh, yeah. well, hey, let's and, go. You know? And I think most people realize that. I mean, nobody that has spent any time with us, especially up on the ridge, I mean, they're, they're going to see that we don't hold anything back. I mean, we, we show them every area that something has happened, and, and we're begging them to please investigate this. I mean, we, we don't hide anything, and, and we try to share everything we've got. I mean, we've got nothing to hide. So I, I know he picked up on that, and, and other people will, will, will realize that too, that uh, you know, if you could find your way down there, we'll, we'll put you into the best areas that we know of. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, uh, that, that's one great thing about us is even Friday night when we told everybody at the conference, you know, if you want to come up and sit at the campfire with us and maybe go on a night hike or whatever, you know, we'll be glad to have you. And people that were coming up there, the next day, all they could do is come up and thank me for taking them up there and, you know, letting them sit with the group and talk to people. I mean, they just thought that we treated them just like it was just another MABRC researcher sitting there. Yeah. So, but uh, getting back to Bob Swain, uh, last year he, he came to the conference and he was so impressed with what, uh, he'd heard from Randy and everything. He, he talked to Randy, and so he uh, created a special cartoon for Randy, and uh, it's actually posted on the the forum, and it was so hilarious. And he went and actually did a color version of it and presented it to you, Randy. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you guys can go on the forum and check out that picture, you really should because. Uh, it, it, I actually laughed when he first showed it to me, and I had a hard time keeping from telling Randy about it because it, it was that dang good. So yeah, I was I was a bit shocked. I mean, and and proud. I mean, I mean, I've retired that uh, that uh, box, that that coffin. Uh, you know, I haven't used it in, in almost a year now, and you know, uh, so it, it's just one of those things where we we are always trying different things, and for about two or three years. I was using those little little 
little homemade campers on a small trailer that I could haul with the ATV, and that's what he made the cartoon about uh, with the Bigfoot carrying it off. Uh, with me inside of it, so it, it was great. It was fun, you know, and and that may be the only written evidence I have of of that particular stretch of my research using that box because it's going to get disassembled and taken apart, and and I won't have it anymore. So I will always cherish that. Oh. And of course, uh, let's see. We also had uh, Colin Hudson. He yeah. wrote a strange state. He come in and. Even though Strange State also has a lot of uh, ghost hunting stories in, or ghost stories in it and stuff like that, I, I think the people just enjoyed that to no end because he answered questions for a good 15 minutes after his presentation. Yeah. So, and then, uh, of course, Dr. Meldrum, you know, that man, here he was still recovering from an illness, but he did presentations both days, and both presentations were just outstanding as usual so you know we can't say enough about Dr. Meldrum he's always welcome at our campfire him and Tom Powell and Bob Swain uh, you know really that's one That's one thing we're going to have stamped in our memory and that is of, of this eight day stretch down there you know the three or four we got to spend with Tom Powell I mean he, he's a man's man uh, he's funny he's impressionable uh, he's got a lot of character, and, and yeah, it was, a pleasure. It was yeah. a pleasure to get to know him. Yeah, I mean, I'll I tell you what, it, and I, I'm not afraid to say it, but uh, I've always looked up to him, and I, I loved his book, The Locals. And I really say, folks, if you really are going to get serious about this field, you need to buy a copy of The Locals and a copy of Dr. Meldrum's book because they both, you know, you got the scientific side on one hand, and then you got Tom Powell, his books talking about uh, behaviors and stuff like that. That I mean, they just—they're really good for anybody's they library. They each other. Yeah. So uh, you know, it, it's really—if you really want to increase your your library, them are the two books that I recommend the most. But to actually, and I got—I I started reading Jeff Meldrum's book. Uh, the other night for the first time, you know, Legend Meets Science, uh, the book, and I got to say, I thoroughly enjoyed the first chapter when I did not realize that Jeff Meldrum had some incidents happen that clearly to me were Bigfoot. I mean, because they, they, they mirror the things that have happened to us. Uh, and, and at the very end, I, I couldn't help but read a statement that he made after all of the things that happened up there with, with the incidents that were possibly Bigfoot the rocks being thrown, the stuff being taken from their food pouch, uh, selective items taken from the food pouch, unlike a, a bear or anything like that. And uh, and he said, in light of all the things that had happened up to this point, there is no doubt that he will continue this search until its end, no matter what the outcome. And that statement fits me to a T, and, and, and I know it's a lot of other researchers. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, we've been doing this now, what, Randy? Too long oh, to really remember. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll still be in walkers out there in the woods, <laughs> trying to go through the woods looking for this thing. Yeah. So, but, yeah, overall, I mean, the conference was great. Uh, the the amount of people, we got to meet folks like Bog, uh, Gearman, who was a, uh, 
MABRC applicant. Uh, he come up and stayed on the ridge with us. He helped out tremendously. Uh, who all the personal else? stories, the personal stories from people that come that come to that conference just to to get the load off their shoulders of things that have happened to them. Yeah, I mean the the number of people that would walk up in between each presentation just to talk to you and relay. Yes, man. So I don't know how many people I talked to. I must have talked to three dozen people at least each day, wanting to know yeah. about what was going on. You know. If they're, you know, are you sure there's really something going on in here? Because I had something happen to me. Let me tell you about it. And it's like, and you look at him, you're like, okay, well, could have been another hiker or something, but you know, something throwing big rocks at you like that. I'm gonna guess it wasn't. You know, so yeah, you just try and help them out, you know, and point them in the right direction. And one yeah, thing, I get hit between the eyes with the rock. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that was a heck of a story too. Well, one thing that uh, I heard more than anything from people were. How different, uh, how different our conference was and the people running it. Because we, we would always take the time to talk to folks. Uh, we treated them just like we would uh, one another, you know. Uh, we had a good presence. We were there pretty much in mass too. There was quite a few of us out there, so there was always somebody that they could talk to. It seemed like yeah. nobody was. Well, there was a few times where people were lined up a few deep, you know, waiting to talk to somebody. Uh, but most of the time, there was always somebody that they could talk to. And I must say that everybody everybody that was there for MABRC did a heck of a job just addressing the crowd also and yeah. taking care of people's needs and whatnot and just being courteous and helping people out. Even if it wasn't about talking about Bigfoot or anything else, they just needed to know where to get the best turkey legs was. You know, you could tell them where, at least I could, where to go. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was a it was a great conference. Really, I, after just going to this one this this year in 2009 and going to the 08 one, I must say that the 09 was uh, was much better for Ed me. Because I knew a lot more Ed people. But also, it seemed like uh, it seemed it was more uh, the community seemed to embrace it more this time. Also, there was it seemed like there were a lot more of the people from that surrounding area at the conference this year as opposed to last year. And that's saying that when we had pretty bad weather most of that stretch of the week. I mean, it seems like it rained every day. Um, so, so the people came out and supported the conference, and we appreciate appreciate everybody that did come out. So, thank Definitely. you. So, uh, well, guys, can y'all think of anything else? Nope. Like no, I said, top of my head. yeah. Like I said, folks, uh, we're going to get that video out there for those of you that wasn't able to attend, so you can watch. And for those of you that were there and working your butts off, <laughs> you'll get to actually see what you missed. Uh, I mean, it, it was just another great, a uh, another great event that we was able to be a part of. And from what I've seen across the board, from all the comments on all the forums of people that attended, uh, you, you know, know, Reverend Strone's got a. I'm sorry, sorry, Darren. Uh, yeah, Reverend go ahead. Strone's got a question he says uh sightings or encounters by attendees and i know that we did have uh big jim says he thinks he saw something as he was coming into town that saturday morning yeah um, but other than that i know that there were uh some vocalizations that were heard by other people at the conference that weren't associated with mabrc but that was a good uh probably you know six to eight miles from where we were at uh that, right. that they woke him up in the middle of the morning right and that was something like that yeah, one woman actually had one looking. 
yeah, one woman was actually sitting on the front row and was talking to me and Roy, and I've got most of it recorded. I just got to try to pull the sound quality out a little bit better. But she actually had two sightings up on K Trail that she was telling us about, and I actually had to go get Randy and said, Randy, sit down with this woman and you know talk to her more about it because you know I was trying to do the the emceeing and I wanted to get her stories. Yeah, well, I I could tell you her whole story. There's not enough time here, but we'll just say that it ends with her uh, sleeping on the ground and waking up to something leaned over, sniffing her face. Yeah. <laughs> So we'll we'll try to cover that on the next show. <laughs> but uh, once again, I just want to throw out a big thank you for everybody that was there. Uh, a big thank you to all the folks that wanted to be there but couldn't make it. Uh, you know, we we knew your hearts were there with us. Uh, overall, I think that's pretty much the the end of the show and we we do got a new uh ending to the show so if you want to sit through and listen to it i think you'll be glad you did and i do uh, want to say thanks to bill lee for doing the intro and the new outro oh yeah absolutely bigfoot bill coming through appreciate it buddy <laughs> so uh randy you got anything randy you still there yep sorry i sneezed okay <laughs> you got anything you want to add before we go off there uh, mm, nope. I think we just about covered it. How about you, Carl? I'm waiting anxiously for you guys to get the um, the video on because I got to see it all okay. again. Well, folks, hopefully we'll have that up before Thanksgiving. Uh, that's my goal is to have it up for Thanksgiving week when uh, everybody's probably on vac or on holiday. You better check with Bobby first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I might be down checking the game cams on Thanksgiving. <laughs> I told you it wasn't close. <laughs> it wouldn't take long. So, take long. But anyway, folks, uh, hopefully Jeff will be back on the next show and uh, him and Liam can take over and run with the ball. Uh, I know Jeff's been AWOL here lately, but, you know, he's had to deal with uh, flu at home and stuff like that. So... Uh, Lem, you want to close it out, and then I'll play the, the ending? Sure. That's it. See you in two weeks. Mid-America Bigfoot Research Center presents the Bigfoot Field Guide. See you in a couple weeks, people. You've been listening to the Bigfoot Field Guide radio show, presented by the Mid-America Bigfoot Research Center, where researchers think outside the box. Available for download on iTunes and from mid-americabigfoot.com. Thanks for listening, and remember, the next time you're in the woods alone, maybe you're not. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 -chum. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.